Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. Hi, movie fans. This is Betty Jo Tucker thanking you for tuning in to Movie Attic Headquarters. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, of course, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you. And for superhero fans, that's especially true today, because our guest is Stephen Shohat, who promises to regale us with fascinating behind-the-scenes tales about superhero films like Batman Begins and Superman and Spider-Man and The Avengers. You know, as a Hollywood tour guide, Stephen began doing research years ago in order to tell colorful accounts about Tinseltown to his customers. And most of these tales are included in his informative and fun book titled Hollywood Stories, Short, Entertaining Anecdotes About the Stars and Legends of Hollywood. Stephen also hosts a syndicated one-minute radio show feature called Hollywood Stories, and he's the author-narrator of two audiobooks, Tales of Hollywood and Fascinating Walt Disney. Always a popular guest here. He really knows Hollywood, and he's a great storyteller. He never ceases to surprise us with new, interesting stories about actors and directors and writers and producers. And his interview about Disneyland memories on Movie Attic Headquarters is a favorite among film fans here on Blog Talk Radio. So it should be a treat to hear Stephen talk about superheroes, especially since a new Batman and Spider-Man flick opened in July, which starts next week. We'll hear from Stephen as soon as I check with our producer, Nikki Starr, and co-host, A.J. Hockery, to see if they're ready to help with the show. Ladies first, of course. Nikki, are all systems go in the chat room? They are. We're ready. Everyone's ready to hear what me and Stephen have to say. Exactly. Hey! Everyone, we're waiting. We're, we're waiting with bated breath, and we want to thank you, Nikki, and we really appreciate the people who will sign up for the the chat, as well as all our other listeners. And we also, no matter what Nikki Starr says, we also appreciate AJ Hockery, who just finished his latest acting gig, for agreeing to be with us today. AJ. Are you ready to hear some behind-the-scenes tales about superhero films? Absolutely, I'm ready to go. And you guys might not know this, but I am a superhero as well. Have you ever not thought, like, the mad movie Man? Of course (gasps) I'm a superhero. I have the power to see more movies than is humanly possible. And I have all sorts of gadgets, too. I got the Mad Movie Mobile, I've got the Mad Movie, I got the Mad Movie Copter, and most importantly, the Mad Movie Bat Shark Repellent. Oh my gosh! That you, you finally, you finally revealed yourself. I mean, we've been calling you the Mad Movie Man for years and years, but we never thought of the super of the yeah the superhero context. So we're so honored, Mad Movie Man. That you could be 
that you could be here today. And uh, but I think it's time now to bring our our guest on, Stephen. Welcome back to Movie Addict Headquarters. Oh, thank you, Betty Jo, AJ, and Nikki. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you back with us. You are one of our favorite guests, and I think you know that. And I know AJ, who's not only a fan of superhero movies, but as we've just heard, is <laughs> a superhero himself. So, AJ, yeah. why don't you start the ball rolling with a couple of questions to Stephen about superhero movies in general? I would be glad to. Uh, as we all know, like superhero movies are big box office contenders today. They pull in gazillions of dollars, especially the Avengers. It's one of the highest grossing movies of all time. But once upon a time, you couldn't get a uh, studio to finance a superhero movie. They just weren't, the comic book properties just really weren't that well regarded or held in that much respect. So, uh, Stephen, how do you think superhero movies got to be as popular as they are today? Well, you know, I think Star Wars was a really big change because even though that wasn't a, what you would call a superhero movie, that was in the tradition of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. In fact, before he produced Star Wars, George Lucas tried to buy Flash Gordon and lost out to Dino De Laurentiis. And the way he marketed Star Wars was that he went around to a lot of science fiction conventions and a few comic book conventions and showed people the trailer a long, long time ago, a long, long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And, of course, the lines were enormous on opening day. And In fact, there's a, a anecdote about that. It might not be true, but supposedly George Lucas and, and, and um, uh, his wife, uh, Marsha had just finished the the editing, uh, the final editing of Star Wars a few hours back, and 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 they were going to have dinner at at uh, Hamburger Hamlet on Hollywood Boulevard across the street from the Chinese Theater, and they were just amazed at the crowd of people. And George Lucas said, "Oh my goodness, uh, 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 those people are here to see Star Wars," and and uh, you know he just happened to be going to a restaurant right across the street from where it was playing, but <laughs> but uh, yeah. But but anyway, that really, I think, tipped off the studios that big-budget special effects were were something, since Star Wars was the biggest hit of all time, that could really work. And one year later, after that, the modern superhero movies really got rolling in 1978 with the Christopher Reeve Superman. And it looked like, unlike previous incarnations of Superman, that he could seriously fly um, the special effects made that possible. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Star Wars really did get the party started for like the blockbuster in general in that you could have these really weird, wild, out-there worlds that had like that had like the fun action sequences and the humor, but were taken seriously enough so that you just weren't making fun of them. Like, you were along for the ride the whole time. Right. And def- definitely super, uh, Superman, Richard Donner's Superman, definitely followed in that spirit. Right, and and you know uh, when they were making that movie, um, there was a, a scene they were doing on location in New York, and and Christopher Reeve was dressed up like Superman, and he had a couple of bodyguards, and he was thinking about the irony of Superman having bodyguards, and and, and then he had to walk from his trailer to the place where they were going to shoot the scene where he confronts this bank robber, and so he was walking, and the street was empty, and he's like, oh, this is a bummer, nobody cares, and then he turned to corner and there were barricades and people and 
cheering and and, and, and mm. uh, there was such excitement. Um, I, I mean, obviously, Superman, a character that had been around since 1938, but but people were really in the mood at that point to to see him come back in this big screen movie incarnation that obviously was going to have a, a much uh, bigger budget than Superman movies had previously had. It, it just you know was the right time and it, it filled people with excitement. Yeah, I would yeah, have been there sure. cheering. Oh, oh, I would have been there cheering. I love that movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I was definitely so ready for it. I was ready for the special effects and and uh, just just thought it um, it really was something special. And uh, I'm so glad that it that it was uh, made. AJ, anything else about uh, superhero movies in general that you'd like uh, Stephen to talk to us about? Absolutely, like like you were saying, that Superman movie, like it did take itself seriously, and it was a lot of fun, and audiences really connected with that. And like, long long story short, uh, superhero movies really took off and kind of matured, and weren't just completely about escapist entertainment. Although, for sure, you can uh, say you can say that about a lot of them. But uh, as for, like, all the different properties that have sprung up over the years, you know, in, in the success of Superman and Spider-Man and X-Men and stuff, people have their favorites and the ones that they're most loyal to. So, Stephen, for you, what are your favorite superhero movies and why? Yeah, uh, I, I like the Bat- Batman Begins, and I like Dark Knight, and I like Spider-Man, too. I, I think the best of, of all of them. Um, I, you know, I, I, I always was a Batman fan. And and so to to see him finally getting taken seriously, I mean you look you look at at Batman and and uh, I, I mean he had such a, a you know a changing history. I, I mean he orig- originally was this really serious character that was based on uh, partly based on Douglas Fairbanks and the Mark of Zorro, where uh, in 1920, where Fairbanks put forth the idea of uh, the guy's a rich ninny in the daytime, and then he puts on this mask at night and he becomes this Avenger. Um, but but of course Zorro's kind of a happy character. So Bob Kane uh, made Batman a darker character than that, and he mixed in a, a movie called The Bat Whispers, which was made in 1930, a haunted house movie about about um, th- this character who dressed up like a bat and stalked his victims. And the audience saw the, the bat approaching them. They saw the action through the bat's eyes. And so Batman, when, when he was first introduced, was not really a, a, you know, a happy character at all, and he was killing people and he was very tough to write for the comic book people because he, he was grim and didn't say much. And so they introduced this character, Robin, just to give Batman somebody to talk to. And, and then the, the sales of Batman doubled uh, when Robin came in. So suddenly you had teenage sidekicks all over comic books. And, and then what, what happened was is, is that there was this doctor whose name was Frederick Wortham. Um, who came along and, and said the comic books are unhealthy and implied that the Batman-Robin relationship, there might be something, you know, uh, um, impure going on there. And so oh. the, the Batman writers started to, to introduce all these other characters like Batwoman, Batgirl, Batdog, or Bathound. And, and, <laughs> and you know, it, it, just, it just became very, very far removed from, from what, what you originally had. And, and and so then in the 60s, it, it was decided, let's bring back the old Batman and let's start killing off these characters. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, 
you had a Hugh Hefner at the Playboy Mansion. He used to have these parties where they would show the old Batman movies that were made in the 40s. Um, which were serial movies and often kind of silly movies. I mean, people, people can watch them on YouTube, where, where Batman would, would be in some horrible danger, and the next week he'd get out of it, they'd never explain it. Like, like his plane would crash, and the next week he'd call, crawl out of the wreckage. No problem. So the people <laughs> watching these, these Batman movies at these parties were, you know, drunk and high and would get very excited and cheer Batman and boo the villains. So there were some ABC executives there one night, and, and they said, you know, this would be a great TV show. But the only way that the filmmakers felt that they could approach the TV show was make it as silly as possible. So so here you have this silly TV show, uh, you know, coming out at the same time when, when you had the comic book becoming more serious. And so it was a dichotomy. And it, and even though people watched the TV show tremendously, it got great ratings and Hollywood stars wanted to be involved with it. At the same time, it was very frustrating for for the comic book fans who, who wanted to see the more serious version of Batman. Right. So that was why, I think that was why Batman, the first Batman movie was, was uh, such a success because we had a little bit of the mix, you know, of the the serious and the uh, and a little bit of the, the the silly in it, and again the special effects that that were so great and great. And one of the things um, that I love about your Hollywood Stories book is how you do uh, tell these these fascinating little anecdotes about uh, the making of the movie and and what was going on during the making of the movie. And I had I did not know um, much about the the Batmobile. And I didn't know much about where uh, the name Bruce Wayne came from. And I know you you talk a little bit about both of those things in the book. Would you explain that to, to our listeners? Oh, sh- oh sure. Uh, um, well, they, that was a combination of uh, Robert Bruce and Mad General Anthony Wayne. Um, huh. and, and Yeah, I mean, Bruce Wayne was named after the same general in the Revolutionary War who who uh, led the battle, uh, led uh, the um, the the uh, um, the soldiers, the the uh, Continental soldiers, into the Battle of of Stony Point, which was a turning point in the Revolutionary War, and and Mad General Anthony Wayne <laughs> actually got shot in the neck by a musket, but he yelled onward, onward, and 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 that I mean that was a huge turning point. That was uh, 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 an area that the British had had thought very well fortified and the american soldiers uh snuck up snuck up on them and and uh <clears throat> took over the fort in stony point and and, and uh yeah general anthony wayne was known for his foul temper and 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 uh yeah i guess it was inspirational for the <laughs> batman comic creator uh bob kane to to use that name and 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 then they hinted that in the batman books that bruce wayne was actually related a distant relative of that general anthony wayne um but but uh uh, yeah there were a lot of interesting things that happened like like you had alfred um was originally a total comic character who wanted to be a detective who happened to to live with with uh, Bruce Wayne and Dick Grayson and then figured out that they were Batman and Robin sort of accidentally and and then in the movies in the 40s they they had a thin actor play Alfred so Alfred went from being <coughs> sort of a roly poly guy <coughs> excuse me to a thin guy in the comics and and then again he was killed off 
until they decided to have him on the television show, and then he was he was brought back. And <laughs> I uh, I personally think that that um, one of the things that makes the the uh, last two Batman movies so good is Michael Caine's very human characterization of Alfred, um, oh, where yeah. he. Yeah, where he raised. I, I mean, because one of the things I, I think that doesn't always work for superhero movies is how the, the characters aren't always relatable, and there's a lack of poignancy um, sometimes. And, and I think that that uh, uh, Michael Caine's performance really helped that in the last two Batman movies. Um, um, thank you, uh, Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine actually was not the original choice. It was Anthony Hopkins, and, and I think he turned it down uh, maybe because he didn't want to play a butler again after Howard's end. And and, and so it's been just a, you know, a fantastic thing for Michael Caine. He's gotten a whole new career because of, of playing Alfred. It's led, led to him being back in the limelight and getting other parts. Yes, and oh, what a great job. uh <laughs> Michael Caine is doing in in that uh, in that role, and we're we're going to be talking quite a bit about uh, Batman because that is your that is your favorite. Uh, but I I would like to ask uh, ask AJ if uh, if he has the same feeling about uh, Batman being one of his uh, favorite character uh, superheroes and uh, the the films the you know the modern films that have been made. About Batman, what what's your opinion, AJ? Especially since you are a fellow uh, superhero. <laughs> well, I grew actually grew up watching the uh, the Adam West Batman show because they had uh, reruns all the time on uh, the Family Channel. So my mom would tape them all for me, and I would just spend like entire weeks just watching them over and over. And like at that time, I didn't know they were supposed to be done for goose. Like five year old me just watched them as if they were the gospel. It's like, yeah, this is Batman. This is what he does. He drinks buttermilk to avoid having mind control drugs take him over from King <laughs> Tut, and like that. That was it. And so then when the Batman movies came out, uh, they definitely threw me for a loop. I wasn't expecting them to be like to have that degree of darkness and seriousness to them. So as I was growing up, though, I kind of learned to appreciate that angle to the character and not, uh, like a lot of people had done, kind of treat superhero movies just as goofs or larks or escapist entertainment. And, yeah, Batman Begins and uh, The Dark Knight are two of my favorite movies, let alone favorite superhero movies. And I think that Christopher Nolan has done a lot to... Uh, it, to expand that character into sort of an even more realistic world, and I hesitate to say that because the his Batman movies still have a kind of weird out there element to them, but they're definitely the most gritty superhero movies you've ever seen, and I like oh, that about yeah. them. I agree, I agree, and um, I I know you have some other questions about uh, the Batman movies that you that you'd like to ask uh, uh, Stephen. Stephen, are you uh, okay? Were you able to get a, a drink of water and are, yeah, are you okay I, now? I, yes, I had to drink of water and I think I think you, you um AJ is absolutely right and it's it's not that they're realistic, it's that the characters sort of are playing it realistic. I mean, it's it's like that old story about the 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 Wizard of Oz where George Cooker called Judy Garland aside. Judy Garland had been acting a little bit a little bit silly uh, on the set of the Wizard of Oz, laughing her head off and and she was told 
you have to believe that this is happening. Otherwise, the audience won't believe that it's happening. You have to, right. uh, you, you know, if you don't believe in the land of Oz, nobody will buy it. And so she stopped. Uh, uh, she started taking it seriously. And, and and that's what I think is happening. I mean, I mean, if you look at the Batman movies leading up, like like the George Clooney Batman movie, Batman and Robin, that was basically made to sell toys. That movie, and and mm. and you know, you end up it ends up silly beyond comprehension when when you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger says the name of the game is Freeze, you know, uh, playing <laughs> Mr. Freeze. I, I mean, it's I, I mean it. it doesn't take it's, it. It's not that a movie has to be totally realistic. It is that it, it has to um, take itself a bit more seriously. Not 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 too seriously. Not not so it's dry and 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 you know you're not willing to follow it at all. But I think the the Batman movies for a lot of people with Christopher Nolan have the right balance between um, seriousness and humor, like AJ said. Yeah, yeah, that that Batman and Robin, that was kind of like the tip of the iceberg for a a lot of people. Because, like, when when Schwarzenegger's cracking jokes and they're making uh, cracks and gags and stuff, like, that's them winking at the audience. And at that point, you're like, okay, why should I care about any of these people? But it wasn't always like that. Right at the very beginning, the first Tim Burton Batman there was Jack Nicholson as this character who completely in, inhabited his role. He brought out like those the dark humor of the character, so you, you laughed when he did crack jokes, but he still had that very, very vicious streak to him, and you were scared of this guy. Uh, but on yeah. that subject, but on that subject, uh, how did playing like up until that point, there weren't a whole lot of like big, huge names associated with. Uh, superhero characters, aside from like Marlon Brando and as Jarrell and Superman, but how did playing the Joker in Batman uh, impact Jack Nicholson's career? How did that play out for him? Well, it's a tremendous, a, a, a tremendous thing. I mean, it, it's it's one of the biggest paychecks of all time. And and the the thing with that was that that um, they originally were going to go kind of campy with that movie in 1989. There was even talk at one point about Bill Murray as Batman and Eddie Murphy as Robin. Uh, No. Yeah. But but what changed things was a comic book by Frank Miller, who who later uh, wrote the script for the movie 300 a couple of years ago, The Dark Knight. Now, The Dark Knight really didn't take Batman to his roots uh, as much as it changed the the way Batman was presented. Well, b- b- basically, Batman turned into Dirty Harry in The Dark Knight, and he didn't kill anybody, but he really uh, enjoyed naming people. Um, and it was really a much darker presentation of Batman than it, it had really ever been done before, even in the earliest days. Batman was never presented exactly like that. Uh, um, and, and so that's what changed it. Now, when Tim Burton came in, um, he did things his own way, and there were things that really infuriated the old-time Batman fans. Like, one of the things that, that, that made people mad was the idea that the Joker killed Batman's parents, which didn't happen in the comic book at all. But, but um, I mean, they were in a situation in that movie. It was kind of an isolated uh, um, um, 
well, situation where they were making him in London because they didn't want word to get out of the movie. Uh, you had Jack Nicholson not always happy in London, um, told he was only going to work for eight weeks. Then there were script problems, so it wasn't eight consecutive weeks, which meant he was cold, which meant he was missing the Lakers. So he wasn't always in a, in a <laughs> good mood. So they had to appease him a little bit, and they kept building up the part of the Joker and, and you know, building up his salary and there were moments where Michael Keaton and, and, and Jack Nicholson were standing there in the Batman Joker outfit and the freezing cold in London. And they're like, this is so silly, but we have to play it seriously. Uh, um, and it just, again, I think people, even though people might've been a bit disappointed by Batman, people just like they had been waiting for Superman a few years earlier were waiting for a serious big screen version of Batman, especially after the dark Knight came out and Jack Nicholson ended up getting, um, 11% of the uh, gross in merchandise and estimated $60 million. Now, Jack, uh, we'll never say exactly how much money he made, and he believes you know, he came from a time where you don't talk about how much money you made. But but I'll tell you, Jack Nicholson's house for many years, I don't know if he still has this, uh, on Mulholland Drive, um, there's a vase with ripped-up $100 bills. And Jack was once asked, why do you have that? And he said, it's to remind me that this is all fleeting. It's to remind me of a time when I didn't have anything. I mean, when, when you know, he had been... In 1969, uh, after 14 movies, um, pretty much planning to retire from acting and planning to write and, and direct at that point, um, and then Easy Rider came along and changed everything for him. So he, he definitely scored a mint, even if you won't say exactly how much it is uh, on the Batman on the Batman movie. And and at the time, Eddie Murphy called him the coolest man in America. <laughs> he really he really made a hit uh with that with that movie and uh I love that story about uh, keeping that vase there and the <laughs> and the torn to shreds uh, money but um and then uh oh we skipped over Superman I didn't want us I didn't want us to do that we can come come back to Batman but I don't want to forget to ask you about the problems during filming the 1978 Superman uh, film, the problems with uh, Marlon Brando and with Gene Hackman, because I thought that that was uh, such an interesting part of your book, Stephen. Well, they they were very smart with the Superman. Obviously, with you got a totally unknown guy playing playing um, Superman at the time, Christopher Reeve. So they decided to go with two major major movie stars in, in the supporting cast to, to bring the movie more attention. And and Brando by that time, I mean that's uh, six years after The Godfather, so he was pretty well back as a movie star. But he was so lazy, and just his name meant so much, and and he. He had full approval of who would play Superman, uh, turned down Sylvester Stallone, uh, <laughs> although uh, Sylvester Stallone very, very angry about it and lost his respect and like for Brando because of that. Um, and, of course, Brando approved of Christopher Reeve. Well, Brando at one point was just so lazy that he didn't even want to show up to the set. And he, he told oh. Richard Donner, um, you know, so, why don't I do a recording and something can stand in my place? Is it, well, what would stand in your place? He said, well, how about a green bagel? I mean, you look at Kryptonians, they don't, people don't know what they look like. They could look like anything. They could look like a green bagel. And, <sighs> and, you know, Richard Donner was amused, but he was also alarmed. And he said, well, you know, Marlon, 
your son is human. You know, you've got to look human like your son. Is. So he's like, oh, okay, I'll show up. You know, he was kind of kidding anyway. So he was on screen for um, 10 minutes. He made an estimated $19 million. That figure has oh. been disputed, but he definitely made a lot. Um, and, and he never bothered to learn his lines. And, and he had one scene where, where uh, you know, he's holding the future super baby up in the air, and he's about to put it in the spaceship to escape Krypton, and he's speculating on the baby's future. He had the lines written on the bottom of the baby's diaper. <laughs> That's priceless. <laughs> I mean, I mean that. That that's before he got into not even using cue cards and, and started having somebody in the trailer with the earpiece feeding him <laughs> the life. But uh, but um, then with Gene Hackman, and now again when you when you hire movie stars, you do have issues to deal with because the one thing about movie stars is they tend to be very protective of their images. So Gene Hackman comes in to meet Richard Donner. He's got a full head of hair and a big mustache, and and, and Richard Donner says, "Now you know Lex Luthor is bald, right?" They go, oh, you can forget that. Well, you got to be clean shaven. No, there's no way. So he shot around Gene Hackman for three months, and then Gene Hackman comes back, and and now Richard Donner has a big mustache, and and, and he says, look, you can wear have the hair, okay? We got we'll put a bald headpiece on you in one seat. That's fine, but you got to shave. So I grew this mustache, so I'm going to shave. I'll shave mine if you shave yours. So so Gene Hackman says, you first. So the prop girl comes in. Uh, um, uh, uh, no, Gene Hackman. I, I'm sorry, Gene Hackman was shaved first. So the prop girl comes in, and Gene Hackman agrees to let her shave her mustache. And, and, and now Gene Hackman says, "Okay, it's your turn." So Richard Donner reaches up and pulls off his mustache. It was a prop, total fake. <laughs> and, and it looked like Gene Hackman was going to kill him. And then Gene Hackman burst out laughing and was okay with it. So. Superman got to face his uh, clean-shaven nemesis there. <laughs> I just love those kind of things that you <laughs> that you pack into your book, and it's just it's just filled with it. So I, I'm so sorry, AJ. I, I hate to interrupt you, and I know I know you were uh, you have some more things you wanted to talk about regarding Batman. So so go ahead. I'm sorry about that. Uh, it's no problem, uh, Stephen. One of the more interesting uh, bits of Batman trivia that I read a. Uh, it was like a few years ago, so correct me if I'm wrong about this, but uh, of like of all the actors who had uh, portrayed Batman, that Val Kilmer in Batman Forever is who Bob Kane said was closest to what he had in mind when he first created Batman. So, and and of course, all the actors who played him have brought like different elements to the table. You know, you have Christian Bale, who's a lot more intense, and then Michael Keaton who still projected that, like, that fearsome Batman persona, but he was still kind of laid back, and he did a kind of a subtle job about it. But for you, what, what, what are, what's your favorite actor who's uh, played Batman? Well, I, you know, I, I agree with Bob Kane in some ways about Bob Kilmer, but I'd have to say Christian Bale just because of the way things have gone. But, but uh, uh, you know, Val Kilmer had a really funny idea, though, that he thinks that he, George Clooney, and Michael Keaton should all play villains in one of the Batman movies. <laughs> what an idea. Yeah. So, I, I, mean, that, I mean, that would be interesting how that would work out. But, but I, you know, I, I really uh, was interested at one point 
um, when David Boreanaz, who plays Angel on Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, and, and Angel, was up for the role. I thought a few years back he might have been really good at uh, for it, and I, I was kind of excited by that idea. But uh, Christian Bale, he wouldn't have been my first choice, actually, but I, I think it's worked out the, the right way, and, and I think, uh, you know, he's very likable in the role. I also think the cartoons that were done in the uh, – um, in the early 90s, the, the Batman cartoon series yeah. was kind of based on the old Max Fleischer uh, Superman cartoons where, where they have the really gritty city. And to, to me, that that uh, may have been the, the best incarnation of Batman, um, except for the movies, the recent movies that there has been. I think Kevin Conroy did a great job. I don't know if he could play it live action, but as the vocal Batman, he I, I think he had a great uh, um, separation between, uh, you know, the playboy Bruce Wayne and, 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 and the much grimmer Batman. Now, what Chris, Christian Bale, a lot of people have put down his voice, but if you think about it logically, I, I mean, if you if you were that character, you wouldn't do what Adam West did, which is basically have the same voice. When, when you're Batman, people would recognize it. You, you would try and use a, a totally different voice. And and mm-hmm. so a lot of people are saying, well, Christian Bale's all over the top, all over the top with that. And I guess you could argue that, but it, I think it does make sense what, what, um, his approach, even if if people don't always like the execution. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that was I'm one of the people that have uh, put <laughs> Christian Bale down for that for that voice as Batman, and and I'm a big fan. Of Christian Bale, so yeah. uh, that kind of disappointed me. I did enjoy um, Michael Keaton. I was so as Batman. I was so unhappy when he was picked for that role. I thought that was just completely uh, terrible miscasting, and so I uh, my expectations were low. But I I really thought that he did he did a, a great job, and I I know uh, from uh, talking with AJ. Uh, in our last superhero show, that he that he has uh, some very very uh, fond feelings toward uh, Christian Bale's performance in Batman. Am I right about that? Absolutely. I I really like that degree of intensity he brought to him, and I, how he's really cock. He makes a really cocky Bruce Wayne. Like he just buys the hotel so his model girlfriends can flop around in the fountain. I thought that was that's a good that's a good example of how like the kind of humor that the movies represent. It's not too goofy and it's not too over the top, but it's just kind of silly. It's like he just plays Bruce Wayne on the outside as like this kind of a rich jerk who isn't is given to like just fits of lark and stuff. But then as Batman he's this really tortured soul and he's extremely dedicated and you can tell how draining draining it is on him. So I and I think he pulled that off really well. And he's Steven, a great I'm actor. With, and Stephen, yeah. I'm with you on uh, Kevin Conroy from the animated series. And speaking of the animated interpretations of Batman, and speaking of the Frank Miller comic, uh, The Dark Knight Returns, I actually saw recently on their uh, new animated movie, uh, Superman vs. the Elite, that they're doing The Dark Knight Returns as a two-part, as two different uh, straight-to-DVD animated movies, and Peter Weller from RoboCop is voicing Batman. 
Well, that would be good. Oh. I think that would be good. I, you know, we're. I can't believe that the time is going by so fast, and we haven't even touched on the the new superhero movies that are coming out: the Avengers, the Amazing Spider-Man, and and the Dark Knight. Well, we know, of course, the Dark Knight. We will have. Uh, have uh, Chris uh, have Mr. Bale as the as Batman and Bruce Wayne, but what are what are your thoughts about uh, the new uh, lead in the Amazing Spider-Man? I mean, do you think that uh, Andrew Garfield is going to be able to uh, follow Toby Maguire's great performance, Stephen? Yeah, I, I think he will be able to. I, I mean, I think I, I think they. Uh, uh, you know, I, I, who knows if it will turn out well, but I think they were unhappy the way the Spider-Man movies were going in a, in a similar way to how they Warner Brothers was unhappy the way with the Batman movies were going. And I think they're going to try and make a really good movie and, and, and uh, uh, I guess get back to the high school roots of, of Spider-Man. Because when you think about Spider-Man, uh, Stan Lee, when he created that character, uh, he got all sorts of editorial resistance. Oh, what do you mean he's a teenager who has problems? I mean, teenagers are sidekicks, and people don't want to hear superhero have problems. Superheroes have problems. Um, so Stan Lee uh, wasn't able to do a Spider-Man continuing comic, so he was only able to do one issue, where where he said, you know, if if I were a superhero, I I, I wouldn't try and save people. I'd try and make money. And 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 become famous and 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 so uh, he he it was a comic book called Amazing Fantasy in 1962 and it was kind of like the Twilight Zone where you had these comics with twist endings and so the the twist with Spider Man was that he didn't act to stop a robber and the robber ended up killing his uncle and and, and that's the shock ending of the comic and it was meant to be the ending that was it and then the letters started pouring in demanding to see more of this character spider-man and so spider-man unlike batman which was a story of revenge spider-man became a story about guilt um the, what happens when you don't act uh, what you become responsible for and and so it, it's something that was a little bit different that that I mean, all the comic books are different, but it was an attempt at least to do something a little bit deeper than some of the other comics. And, and I think one of the things about comic book movies is in a way they're like the old horror movies. And what I mean by that is what, back in the 30s when Universal, when they were making movies like Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, uh, it didn't matter to the studio so much who the actors were. They figured that people would come no matter what if they liked the characters. Uh, like mm -hmm. Boris Karloff, he used to say about the Frankenstein movies, I was only in three, but I get blamed for all nine. That's you know, right. Or I get the fan mail. <laughs> That's good. But what about the Avengers? We're going to be in. I'm, oh. I hate to interrupt, but I know we're going to be in trouble with Nikki Starr if we don't talk about the Avengers and especially Captain America, since that's her. I know for a fact that's her favorite <laughs> superhero. What What was your opinion of the of the Avengers? I know it's just made. Uh, well, I think it's it's made more money than any other superhero movie, and I I think it's for uh, good reason. Built. <laughs> All right. I, I I really enjoyed it. I I I know Nikki's going to get mad at me, but my favorite was the Hulk, not Captain America. I mean, I just I, I mean the Hulk. 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the, the Hulk to me is different because for one thing, he had the TV show, and so you know we might be a little bit more familiar with him. And and the other thing is that uh, with the Hulk, I mean, the Hulk was based uh, on Frankenstein and Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. I mean, I mean, I mean, again, Stan Lee, he said, I, you know, I could never understand. Boris Karloff in these Frankenstein movies, the poor guys. Why? Why are these idiots chasing him with pitchforks and torches? Of course he's going to be be mad. But but uh, the, the Hulk has an anticipation factor because he's different when he becomes the Hulk. I mean, Iron Man, Captain America, Black Widow are similar when they're um, themselves versus their heroic alter egos but the hulk becomes totally different so you know you're waiting for it you're waiting for it and then it comes and then it's thrilling to me when the hulk starts smashing everything and oh yes and mark ruffalo was was just great but but we are going to let you say a few words about captain america nikki because we don't want want to leave you out well he's the original avenger and the fact that he went from what he did and kept his heart. See, I'm such a sucker for that. That's part of the reason that I don't love Hulk, even though I do like him. I'm, obviously, I like them all. But um, to me, that was like, yes, I watched those movies for suspension of disbelief, AJ, so don't laugh at me. However, his was kind of believable that he kept his heart good. That's why they chose him, that little tiny guy. I loved the movie. I loved how they put everything together. I loved how they mentioned things in the future. And I just think he's just the best ever in the whole entire world. And I actually really do not think that Iron Man is a superhero at all. I think that he was a really rich guy that has a special suit. So, we, yeah. I think we a lot of us feel the same way. But right? well said, Nikki. I, I cannot believe that our time is almost up. And I, I have to wrap things up now, but this has been so much fun, and I want to thank you, Stephen, for being such a terrific guest again, and I want to thank AJ for being an excellent co-host and for revealing his uh, superhero identity. Thanks to Nikki Starr, our chatters, and other listeners. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back next time when our guest will be filmmaker Daniel Stamm, who will discuss his experience as writer and director of a very serious, groundbreaking independent film called A Necessary Death, as well as his work as the director of The Last Exorcism. It should be a highly intriguing show. That's all for now, folks. So, to take us out, here's Kenny Loggins with the song I'd like to see all superheroes dancing to.
Lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.